Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Discovering God's Future for Your Church. This turnkey video toolkit helps your congregation discern and implement God's vision for your church's next faithful steps. Learn more and watch an introductory video at churchleadership.com vision. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. What happens when a congregation trusts God for big change? We speak with author and pastor Don Darwin Weeks about the rebirth of Connection Christian Church and how to lead change well. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center and your host for this talk. Joining me is the Reverend Dr. Don Weeks, who is the co-pastor of Connection Christian Church in Odessa, Texas, and she's the author of Breakthrough, Trusting God for a Big Change in Your Church. Our focus for this podcast is leading change. Welcome, Don, to the podcast, and I just want to upfront encourage people, if they have not read Breakthrough, that they need to pick it up and read it immediately. Thanks for that. And Dr. Poe, it's so fun to be with you because you are one of the ones who helped me get the doctor in front of my name. I'm always grateful for your mentorship. You're very kind, um, but it was well earned, I will say. So uh, my role in it was very small. Um, I want to begin, and again, I just want to thank you for an insightful book. But what I really appreciated is that it's clear that leading change is a challenge, even when people want it. Um, and, and that's gonna become clear to our listening and watching audience in a second. Um, so I, I want you maybe to just to share a little bit about how you came to what is now Connection and sort of why I gave this comment that leading change is even challenging when people say they want change. Yes. So our system in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ is, uh, for lack of a better phrase to describe it, kind of a dating system for ministers and congregations. Um, you know, if you're interested, you put your name in the hat and the congregation then gets those names to talk to. Well, we had not done that. We were happy in our setting in Kansas City where we were co-pastoring a church, my husband and I. And um, and one day this this lady just calls up out of the blue and tries to describe to me this church in West Texas. Now I had spent some time in West Texas as a kid and still had family in this area. So I was not completely unfamiliar with the area, but it was still farthest from my imagination of where we would wind up. Um, but uh, even though we said no at first, no, we're not interested. Thank you. We're doing good ministry here. They were persistent. This congregation was persistent in prayer and persistent in conversation. 
Uh, and what intrigued us was they seemed to know that they were a part of the body of Christ that was underrepresented in this geographical area. And they seemed to have passion about that and purpose about that, that the body of Christ was uh, was bigger than what was being seen as what a, being a Christian meant for the Permian Basin, which is our area. So that intrigued us enough to go and look. And what we found was a congregation that was had about 45 people in worship and average and uh, still had resources and passion for some kind of change, but what that would be was just a huge question mark. And even though people knew change needed to happen and some were actively cheerleading for it, it was still very tough and slow. It was not an automatic. We went so far as writing a letter to the congregation before we accepted the call and spelled out that we would be looking seriously at relocation and that they should not call us. We did not want to uproot our elementary school aged children to go there if they were not also serious about that level of shift in the life of the church. And they still voted to call us, yet it took three years still of work together to get to that point. But we did get to that point by God's help. We're going to unpack that some, and I appreciate um, your description of what happened, but just uh, sort of set the stage of, for those who are joining us. You all left a congregation um, in Kansas City that had 150, 200 in worship. We were running about 300 in worship at the 300, time. 300, so I was even low. 300 in worship. They go to a congregation in Odessa, Texas, that had 45 in worship. That's right. And you are going to this place because they're interested in change. At least that's what they say. And you and Joe believe that you are the right ones who can lead them through this change. Do it I, does sound crazy, right? Totally I, crazy. I just, want to set, I just want to set this up. Does that is that the story that- Stuff that only God can do, right? So yes, that's right. We. I have always wanted to start a new church and God has always called me to churches that are a hundred years or more old. And to me, starting a new church is not necessarily about being in a brand new congregation. It's about starting again with a rooted congregation as well. And that's, that's what we've seen God do here. And we, we came out with a book just because there are so many other congregations that are in such similar situations with a rich history, but unsure of the future, yet they've got all this great rootedness to work with if they can find a breath of, of fresh wind to go on. So let's, um, let's begin there. So the congregation, and, and I think, um, I don't want to skip over this too much, but um, in this case, they at least say they wanted to change. Um, and, and I said, I don't want to skip over that too much because there are a lot of congregations that don't want to change and fight everything in a world to say they don't want to change. But in this case, the congregation recognized change needed to happen. So let's um, move forward and say, so the two of you get to Odessa, you get to the congregation, they say they want to change. So then how did you go about working with them? One, to help them really understand what that means for change, but then two, 
sort of lay out priorities for going about changing? The first thing we did, of course, obviously prayer and, you know, the things you do to steal yourself for these things. But the really first organizational thing we did was get transparent about the reality. So this congregation was um, spending down their endowment at a tune of about $70,000 a year just to stay at even pace with the expenses of being in a building, which was in a location that did not serve them. So being transparent about that, most people didn't know that, didn't realize that. And other realities, the cost, we did a cost assessment of what it would cost to repair the building and make it handicap accessible and all the things you need to do, put a fresh front door face on the building, all the things you need to do to really be a, a useful vessel for the Lord's work, right? Um, and that caught, that bill was going to be in the $2 million range. We just got transparent about the reality. And so then change wasn't about these pastors want us to do something we don't want to do. Change was about what are we going to do to be stewards in the situation that we are in? And the lay folks, the lay leaders in our congregation were just brilliant. In the book, I try to highlight one at the end of every chapter, because to me, um, pastors talking to pastors about change is just kind of fruitless. Uh, it, leaders need to talk to leaders about change. And uh, we had some leaders that were willing to say, hey, if this is what we're looking at, spending this kind of money just to keep 45 people going in worship, knowing we're declining even from there, that isn't being a good steward. And so even though they couldn't see the vision of what was next, they began to be aware that what we were doing didn't make any sense. And so the next thing we did was start talking about how instead of trying to get people to come to church, especially while we were in this building in an out of the way location, we should be taking church to people. And so we just developed this sense of experimentation and adventure while we were kind of trying to, to figure out what the spirit had for us. We were adventuring. Uh, we were doing things like ashes to go. We were having Bible studies in grocery stores and coffee shops. We were doing a Sunday night worship service once a month in an Italian restaurant. We were just trying to help us all grow into the understanding that the church is not a building because in our gut, we knew we were going to have to let our building go. So that began to give people some vision that we could have a bright future if we would try to keep up with what the Lord wanted to do in people in our community. Let's talk a little bit about some of the experimentations, because I think experimentation is so critical. It's something that um, whenever I'm doing workshops or sharing with people, I say, experimenting is your friend. Um, and I think that for too long in the church world, we sort of have... Um, not bought into how helpful experimentation can be. But you all experimented with, um, you talked about uh, doing the Bible studies in these places at, in these different areas. What I'm wondering is, did you and Joe, who's the co-pastor, do this yourselves? Um, how did you work with Lay to take on some of this? Because I think the other challenge is, and you sort of hinted at this, there's one thing for the two of you to sort of know something has to happen, but it's another thing for you to be able to get other people to buy into something has to happen and actually sort of taking some ownership 
um, to move the process along. So as you did these experimentations, were you able to get others to do some of the sharing of the work with you or did it fall basically on your shoulders? We didn't do it perfectly. There were times that we probably over-functioned and still over-function. <laughs> A lot of ministers do. Yet, for example, our ashes to go, taking elders or other leaders in the church with me, every single one that goes with me and uh, Joe and I never are out there by ourselves, you know, offering ashes in prayer. We've always got somebody that we're uh, enjoying the, the experience with. Those folks will say, that's the best thing I've ever done. Praying for a stranger. I didn't know I could do that, you know, um, and they want to go every year. Uh, when we did our worship service in the Italian restaurant, my goodness, we could not have done that without other folks being willing to greet and provide music and, and just capture the concept of it. When we met in our wilderness time in between our downtown facility and the facility we're in now, um, we were in an elementary school cafetorium and those leaders made that happen. I mean, there was no way that Joe or I individually could pull all of that together. Um, and one of my favorite memories of that are the ones that would hang our church sign on the fence of the elementary school playground every week, rain, shine, or wind, which we get a lot of, and seeing them offer that welcome that invitation, that atten attention to evangelism did my heart good every Sunday. And we did have people who came and joined us because people like to join something new and not try to come into a group that's already, you know, begun as you know, but that spirit of experimentation and adventure helped our church so much in the pandemic too. Oh my goodness. So when it came time to figure out how we were going to keep meeting and thankfully we're in a warm climate and, um, we, by God's grace, had this concept of meeting in the parking lot, all of our people were like, yeah, let's try worship in the parking lot, <laughs> you know, because they've already done it in all these strange situations. They, you know, it was just easier. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a prayer or a poem by John O'Donohue who says, um, learn to find ease in risk. Mm. And that, like that playful spirit, I mean, somebody said to me at the end of last year, you know what, we haven't gotten out beyond our walls very much. And they were right. We were so relieved to be just back to quote normal, whatever that is after pandemic. And so this year we're doing a story slam. Uh, and we're, we're meeting in these different places and we have a question and people share their story of God's movement in their life around that question. And oh, it's so much fun. And it's not the talking heads. It's not the pastors talking. It's the voices of leaders and newbies in the pew that are stepping out. And it's just refreshing to everybody. Um, you know, I love the story. So then you all do these experiments. And as you said, you all start connecting with people because you're getting out beyond the walls. And again, I want to mention that there's 45 in worship because people always think like this takes a huge congregation. So um, your congregation is under 50 uh, in worship. So you're out doing these things and you're meeting new people and that's wonderful. But so here I want you to talk about some of the challenges. Even in meeting those new people, there's still somewhat of a disconnect of, hey, we're meeting new people and we're meeting them because we're getting out to 
we need to really make a huge change and give up our building so we can do something new. So can you talk about some of the, the challenge? I don't want people to think that, you know, this was, this was just an easy transition. So even though we were doing ministry and sharing the love of God and Jesus Christ in really tangible ways, those folks didn't necessarily come on a Sunday morning. I mean, very few, right? So it wasn't really changing the health of the congregation numerically. Uh, and so we would rarely have a visitor uh, in our downtown location. And that's something that's changed remarkably in a location that is simply more accessible to people. So we had two words that were really incredibly important to us that the spirit felt like the spirit gave us during this process. One is accessibility. How can we be accessible to our community? And the other word is sustainability. What makes sense? What sustains our energy, our resources for the long term? Um, and so moving through this process, it took, you know, uh, we, we worked with our denomination and did an intentional study, you know, where small groups meet and all those things. And we're doing that while we're expanding our concept of what ministry means and going out beyond the walls. And when it came right down to it, there was a particular board meeting where we needed to make a decision based on the process we'd gone. And we just had no direction from the congregation. You know, some people said, let's stay here and try harder. Some people said, um, I'm tired of trying. I don't think we're getting anywhere really. Let's, you know, let's move on. But it was split really. And so the leadership, you know, again, leaders in the congregation that are not paid that are Mature Christian people were who moved this forward with God's help. So one of our leaders spoke up and said, you know what, we're appointed to lead and leading doesn't mean testing the wind. Leading means what is God telling us that needs to happen? So out of that, we put the building on the market and that was the forward momentum we needed to really start seeing things happen. And I just want to remind uh, people joining us that when you all came, you wrote the letter up front naming that we would probably have to move, but still it comes down to a meeting where it, it is really split and it really took the voice of a mature person to sort of swing the pendulum where you're actually able to make the move. So and here I'm asking you for insight. I mean, given that you named up front, which you believe needed to happen. And that's part of the reason that you went there. Um, why do you believe it still came down to this one meeting with all the success you had getting out, with naming it up front, with the congregation knowing things needed to change? Um, why do you think it still came down to really needing someone to swing that pendulum instead of people just really jumping on board, given that's what they sort of said they wanted to do up front? For our context, I, it, the easy answer is change is hard. Yeah. But for our context, I think it's because our people loved each other and love each other so much that, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, it's the tyranny of the minority, that we didn't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. We didn't want to make any of our elderly people give up the church that brought them comfort. I really think it was about love, which helped me be less resentful or frustrated 
because I could see that the intent was not to be difficult. The intent was to try to love people who loved this church. And for them, it was not just a building. It was a place of meeting with God where they had buried loved ones, where they had, you know, had weddings and all those things. And so to take a step step back and say, they are intending to love. And so it was extremely important to care for folks through the process. And I love the testimony from Sarah Grove, who was our children's Sunday school teacher for 54 years. And her testimony is in the book. And she tells it like it is. She says, move. They wanted me to move. You know, I've never heard of a church having to move. And then they wanted to change the name. And I don't understand why we couldn't use the red chalice for, you know, which is our denomination's logo. Um, Why did they want to do all this? But then she says, I decided to trust God and trust the people who loved me. So it's a, it was the spiritual maturity that moved us through all that. And if it were not for courageous lay leaders, we would not have probably done this. And, and these are two ministers, my husband and I that have a lot of experience, have all the degrees and the calling and all of that. So this is why a lot of my passion is leaders need to talk to leaders to give each other the oomph that they need. Um, because it's not just the expert pastor that's able to make this happen. I think um, you, you've highlighted a lot of important things, but one central theme that I think we often overlook is where you started by talking about they really love their church. And um, Oftentimes, we equate that with the building, and that's true. Um, Congregations fall in love with their building, but it's also the memories and things that are attached to the building, and that is not simply the building itself. Um, So being able to have individuals work through that, even though we might be moving, the love doesn't stay here. The love comes with us. I imagine is what sort of helped to swing the pendulum in the right direction for where you want it to go. That and developing an equal love for those who had yet to find God's love through a church. And so I think the going outside of our walls with our leaders gave them a vision that Love doesn't decrease when you share it, right? It multiplies and coming face to face with people who said, you know, I haven't been to church in 20 years, or, you know, my parents never brought me to church. I've never been, you know, stretching their hearts to see that love could include more people who really needed it. And do you believe that, um, because it is hard for congregations to, to grow. And I always share typically the reasons congregations don't grow is because they don't want to, right? They, they, they enjoy and are comfortable with one another and subconsciously or consciously, they want to keep that group together. Um, so do you think it was the experiments that helped them to understand spreading the love or were there other things that helped them to realize that Um, It's important for us to not only have the love that we have shared for a number of years in this group, but we need to expand that to include others if we want to grow. 
really key, I think, for our folks was that our church was 110 years old, uh, and we worked a lot with the history, the DNA, the origins of the church. Why did we first begin? We were in a you know pioneer area, and what has this church brought to the community over time? Our history was a rich resource to help people feel like we're not doing something different. We are doing what is in the original intent of our founders. They intended for this church to be a huge blessing to this community. Are we a huge blessing right now? No. In transparent reality, we're not. And we used to be. And so how do we reimagine that for what's coming? And that motivated a lot of folks who cared about the history of the church and wanted to be in keeping with its its intent uh, and, and help them to feel good and proud about what we were doing. And it helped that our church had started a lot of nonprofits in the community and been a huge part of serving. And a part of our new location now uh, is, is we are a host for nonprofits in the community on our campus. And that felt new but really recapitulation of the of the old of the original and and the identity of our congregation coming forward into the future so um you've hit on what i think is sort of one of the key elements that is often overlooked by congregation is going back and helping people understand the original missional sort of impetus for why the congregation was started and helping people to reclaim that in some sense to see often that their relatives really did have a heart for the community and that makes all the difference in the world. But I, it I, really I want does. to yeah yeah but I, I know we're getting short on time but I want to move to so not only did you move the church but you changed the name. <laughs> Uh, so, I so didn't change I, the name. The congregation changed yeah, the name. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, I'll go with you. The congregation yes. changed the name. Yes. Um, so how did you get the congregation to buy into a name change and why did you change the name? Well, by the time we got to the name change, we had already found our new location. We'd sold our building. Um, and I was I was ready to be done with asking anybody to do anything uncomfortable ever again. Uh, and I talked to uh, a leader in our denomination who had helped us some throughout this process. His name is Rick Morrison. And uh, I said, Rick, do we have to make them think about changing the name? And he said, if you don't, everything you've done up to this point will not be as effective as it would have been. Hmm. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, so we went through quite a process to discern a name, but the reasons why, just very briefly, there were nine first something churches in our immediate community, not to count for the town 20 miles over or the surrounding towns, um, just so confusing to a increasingly unchurched population, which church we were. Um, and first is racist. I'm just going to be put it right out there. It meant we were the first white church of our denomination. And so that's not really something to be proud of. You know, it just hadn't aged well. And so finding a name that was unique, and I talk about this a little in the book, some of the criteria that communicated to outsiders, but that still expressed our heart. Uh, it was a process, but that turned out to be the easiest vote. People were like, oh yeah, whatever. 
we've done all this. We might as well. And again, it connected with our history. Our name is Connection Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And um, and Connection, how fortuitous was it? We didn't know the pandemic was coming and people would be hungry for connection, right? But connection actually has roots in um, our denomination's history with Barton Stone, who had a, a one of our founders who had a um, a journal called the Christian Connection. So it just worked for lots of reasons. And it has been a gift as a new, fresh start to have a new way to introduce ourselves to the community. That's great. Well, as we get ready to bring this to a close, sadly, because I've been uh, enjoyed the conversation, if you were going to share with other pastors who pastor congregations under 50, many of who very similar struggle to the struggle that you all faced um, coming to the church that may not be able to move their congregation to a new place, but they still need to do something. What would be the one or two things you would suggest to those pastors? That's a great point. Not every church needs to move or can move or has the resources. Transparent reality is very important. And then to trust in the effectiveness of the gospel. We don't have to make the gospel effective. The gospel is effective to change people's lives, but we can stand in its way. So if we're clear about our reality and what is standing in the way of people getting the gospel, what resources we're bleeding out instead of putting into good purpose, um, we can we can restructure things. We can experiment. We can reintroduce the church to the community with the gospel as our primary motor and trusting that it will be effective. I can see and have talked with other churches that have read our book and even been to our church to see. One in particular comes to mind. It's um, First Christian Church, San Angelo, Texas. They have partnered with another congregation, Grace Presbyterian Church in that community, and they have created a backyard in their facility for outdoor concerts and for connection with the community, and they are thriving. So it's not just about a relocation. It can be simply a readjustment to what the gospel requires of us in this age. Well, Don, thank you so much. It has been great talking to you. And again, the book is Breakthrough, Trusting God for a Big Change in Your Church. And I guarantee that if you pick it up, it, it really will inspire you um, if you get the book. So thank you for this conversation and the work that you're doing and for taking a risk. There are not many individuals, and I may put myself in that number, that would leave a 300-member in-worship church to go to a 45-member in-worship church. So thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel. It's worth it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.